Hey, everybody. This is Jordan Pacheco from the Glad Chad Podcast. I hope you're doing well. And I had something that recently just happened, uh, and I'm the culprit, naturally, uh, in fact, just a couple hours ago. So I think that this is a good primer for the sort of topic I want to discuss today. So a couple of hours ago, Jen and I were on the couch, and we were watching a movie, a Midnight in Paris, if anyone wants to know, which so far, we haven't finished it yet, is shaping up to be a pretty good film. And we'd been out running some errands a little bit in the day, so... We got some food and I noticed, but near my work, literally three minutes on the road, a secret Cinnabon has opened up. Now, Jen doesn't like Cinnabon. She doesn't like cinnamon rolls. It's not really her thing, but I was so happy. So I got one. And of course, we're there eating our food on the couch and I'm trying to be, you know, a good husband. And I ask Jen, hey, would you like some of my cinnamon roll? And I assume that she's going to say no. So I slide in something else. I say, would you like some of my cinnamon roll or would you like me to get you some ice cream from the freezer? And she goes, yeah, I think I'll have, a, I'll think I'll have a little bit of cinnamon roll. And so, as a as a good husband, I'm sitting there, you know, <laughs> like in my mind, I'm like, ah, dang, you know, foiled. And I'm eating around the center of the roll, which is especially for cinnamon, the best part ever. It is proof that God wants us to be happy. And so, sure enough, five minutes go by, and I've you know delicately cut around my share of the cinnamon roll, and I want more, right? I want more cinnamon roll, and yet I'm going to give the best part of the cinnamon roll to my wife who is a woman who doesn't even like cinnamon rolls so you can imagine i'm sitting there and i'm watching her kind of take it and then finally she gets to it and i i found myself having this pang of uh i guess it would be uh, envy you know i i i was saying i want this part of the cinnamon roll really really actually would be jealousy so jealousy jealousy is is covetousness on the things that you own envy is that which others own so i guess it's jealousy because I was, I wanted to keep my cinnamon roll and yet I offered it up. And so that was my, that was my first base appetite kind of reaction was, oh, well, how come I can't enjoy this full cinnamon roll? I love Cinnabon, but my wife who doesn't really love it uh, gets to eat the best part. And then my second reaction was almost, almost kind of a comical checking of myself because you're telling me that this woman who you love and whom you want to serve really you know, who's helping you because you're not eating the whole of Cinnabon. So she's preventing my gaining of weight, really. She's preventing my uh, diabetes coming down the road. So if anything, I should thank her. But really, you can't just share a freaking cinnamon roll, dude. You're also destitute where you're never going to see one ever again. Like, how how pathetic is that? <laughs> of course, Jen doesn't know any of this. And, and it wasn't like this manifested into something. But I just thought it was very funny how when we're governed by our appetites, um, how our appetites lead us astray, or they can be. And that's kind of what leads me into a bigger thought that I've been noticing and something I've been thinking about. But I'll start by saying this. Father Ripperger, we were listening to one of his talks, an older talk, but a good one. And he was talking about emotions and the value of emotions in a very quick way. But he was saying that our emotions should not be the guide for our spirituality, that our emotions can't be trusted. Now, Father Ripperger was relating this to exorcism, naturally. He was talking about how demons can can manipulate our emotions, right? Obviously, anything a demon does or does not do is, is through the permissive uh, will of God, but they can toy with the emotions. In other words, you can feel like something is righteous and good. You can feel good about something when it's actually not objectively good, right? That good which is conformed to God. And that's interesting because I think that what we have done in our era and our time period is that we have conflated emotionalism with worship. We've conflated emotionalism 
with with our stay in the church. Look at what's happened in so many, especially Novus Ordos across, but it's, it's even happened, of course, in, in, in some traditional Latin mass circles. So, you know, post-Vatican II, when we've had this great raising of the participation of the laity, what it essentially boiled down to was that if the laity isn't doing, saying, or feeling something, then surely they're bored and they're disengaged, which means that they actually don't believe the faith. And so we have to change tenets of the faith to make it more, you've heard the terms relevant, more culturally aware. Uh, you've heard constantly, I'm sure you have to meet the culture where it is in order to engage people. Otherwise, we're going to lose them. And by going that direction, there was an implicit argument, therefore, that everything that was done prior to that sort of change was done without the consultation of, of the participants, and therefore it wasn't really participation. Now, never mind that as far as the Holy Mass is concerned, Pope Pius X, and we see this in every single Roman Missal for 1962, I have my Baronius Press one off camera right here, but he talks about how to pray the Mass and what that means for participation. So our ancestors, our grandparents, of course they participated and they had a reaction to the Mass. This is the thing that they fostered for centuries, right? It wasn't always just priests coming down. There were plenty of cases where a priest wasn't even there. But what we've done is we've taken worship and we've made it emotionalism. Sometimes one of the strange critiques levied at the Latin Mass is, well, it just seems so boring, right? It seems just so plaisé. It doesn't seem like there's any vibrancy to it. Well, there's an eternal vibrancy. Of course, uh, there is a sort of, of underlying characteristic that is leaving more and more people who go to the old mass to really not just bind themselves to the old mass, but to bind their children to the old mass. This is a fantastic phenomenon. This is one that is dying out, obviously, through through uh, the new mass and, and these other parts of the church. This is something that, that they haven't kicked the hornet's nest on when it comes to the critiques of the old mass. How come a mass which is old that nobody can understand, that everyone is quiet about? I, I was at a low mass last Sunday with our new priest, who's the quietest priest I've ever met. And we're all straining to listen. And then you go, I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to conform my prayers to that of the priest on the altar because I know what is happening there. How can this be? How can this be something that's interesting, right? What is going wrong with the experiment of the 60s? Again, as Father Ripperger said, it is dangerous when we allow for our emotions to be the dictate of our spiritual dispositions. We all go through spiritual peaks and valleys and plateaus, by the way. There are some times when we really do have, obviously, a good emotional response to what we're going to see with the mass or with Catholicism, with the faith. And it's important. It's not like the, the, the passions, the, the appetites, the emotions are not important things. God has these things and, and uses them to make us human. When I tell my story of my first Latin mass that I really internalized, because I'd gone a couple times before, the real big moment when I was 20, um, when I really wasn't being fed out in Los Angeles and hearing that asparagus and weeping. And when I talk about the beauty of the mass, I mean, these are these great spiritual realities had an emotional, a physiological response, right? That's okay. When I saw Genevieve walk down the aisle, I mean, I wept openly. And I don't think anyone would say, oh, well, he's just getting carried away with the blind emotionalism. I mean, especially in the old mass, we know that smells and bells are important. And maybe the problem with the new world is that they don't want to admit that those things were important. So they want some sort of emotional reaction without any of the gratification of having those things throughout the centuries, which have proven themselves to be the best responders for first understanding the spiritual elements at play. The incense, 
away, right? The prayers at the foot of the altar, the asparagus, all of that gone. The altar being brought out and made into a, a table, uh, carpet being put into the sanctuary, the choir loft being emptied, and instead a keyboard or a guitar being placed on the side of the altar, often in front of one of the uh, statues of Jesus or of Joseph or of Our Lady. And then, and then they claim, well, the problem is that we just need to get the people more active. You see, if, if we have Catholics clapping in mass, if we have people shouting their testimony, if we have uh, the most Protestant kind of debasements happening at the mass, this is what's going to cleave onto people. The problem is this is, a, this is a sort of, especially for us in this country, again, this is a very uh, almost Pentecostal sort of heresy. But if I don't speak in tongues that I'm just not feeling the spirit. So there's this desire to emotionally outbid somebody, right? In geriatrical performance, whether that's in prayer or that's in um, whatever someone does at mass or whether that is uh, what we do for the community at large. Uh, and it's it's all terrible because what it's done is it's created an entire uh, group of people whose entire experience of Catholicism or even of Christianity, because obviously it extends far beyond even the reach of Holy Mother Church right now, but there's an entire people who have now completely conflated that if they don't feel something, then it must not be there. Look at what's happened with marriage. I, I was really wrapping my head around this. In the entirety of my marriage vows, there's only the, uh, the word love only makes its entrance once. And it's not love as we think of it. We have used love, like all the emotions, and we've completely stripped them of what it authentically means. So we know that God is love, right? This this is extremely clear in all the Bible, especially in, in the in, uh, first letter of John, right? And we know that get, when you love something, what love is is willing the good of the other. It's being selfless. Love is never selfish, right? And so we know that when God says that he loved the world, he sent his only son, it means that he was willing to die for everyone that they may be saved. This is why Christ in the Last Supper says, no man hath greater love than to lay down his life for his friends. Love is, in, is, is intimately tied with one of the most selfless acts we can do. The most selfless act, actually, because Christ did it himself. He laid down his life for his friends. And who are his friends, right? Those who love him and keep his commandments. Um, but what we've done instead is that we've completely divorced love from any sort of sense of duty or any sort of spiritual reality. We've Disneyfied love, right? Love has just become this happy bunny feeling. And that if I don't feel in love, then something must be missing. So I remember my first Latin mass and I remember I had the butterflies and I had the emotional response. And I got to tell you, that is not the case for every single mass I've gone to in the old right. A lot of times going to mass now is about like duty that you wouldn't even question because that's what love is. I love Genevieve, which means I would lay down my life for her. But you know what that means? That doesn't mean that every morning when I wake up to her, I get these weird butterflies in my stomach. In fact, lately, a lot of times when I wake up to her, my first reaction is, oh my gosh, you're pushing me off the edge of the bed. Move <laughs> over a little bit, please. <laughs> but what we've seen with the Bible and with God is that emotions are good insofar as that they should motivate the deeper sense of duty that we have towards God and towards each other. This is especially true in the liturgy. I don't go to mass because it makes me feel good. I don't care about how I feel. I've been reading The Imitation of Christ. It talks so much about this, right? How, listen, man, you must accept your joys and your sorrows with the exact same uh, um, uh, emotional feeling. Think about the book of Job, right? The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
a paraphrase of the verse. If I feel, oh, I don't feel like going to Mass today. Oh, I don't feel the homily. Oh, I don't feel that God is present in the Eucharist. So it leads to this spiritual dryness because you're looking essentially for your next dopamine high. How many Catholics have you heard do this? Maybe maybe you've done this. I know that there are many of you who watch our show and uh, who've, who've done the whole Protestant stint, right? Who is away from your faith, who is away from the church. And many of you say, um, look, I'm not being fed. And I feel this kind of gratification when I go to a Protestant service. I feel like God is really present. I feel like the room is so electric. Okay, well, that's great. Again, emotions are not terrible. They're not antithesis, right? We're not, uh, we're not Donatists or anything. But it's not just about the feeling. Because feelings change. They fade. And they're based upon our appetites, which can be manipulated, right? I feel jealousy over a cinnamon roll. Does that mean that I don't love Jen? That that means, oh, we're out of love? Oh, well, I love her uh, 99% of the time. This 1% of the time, oh, no, I don't love her at all. No, it means, okay, well, it turns out that that my emotional appetites are not the basis for my marriage, right? I'm not marrying Jen because she makes me feel good. This is a, a helpful thing. It's It's good to have an intimate relationship with your spouse and feel good in your moments of intimacy. It's nice to feel like this is the right choice. The problem with the world, right, is that we've talked too much about our feelings. We've not talked about our obligations and our senses of duty. In the liturgy, if you get a person who attends the new mass exclusively and the person who attends the old mass talking about how they experience the mass, it will come down to feelings. But there's a deeper sense I'm noticing, especially from people with the Latin mass, that they understand that this is the mass of the ages. When they say, this is the mass of the saints, this is the mass that watered the ground for the church to grow. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And those martyrs were hearing asperges. They were hearing Sanctus. They were hearing Agnus Dei and Intro Ibo Ad Altar Dei. And guess what? I am going to conform myself to that line. The God present from that theology that is made manifest, I want to follow him. And yes, you know, sometimes it makes me feel wonderful. Sometimes it's a terrible action because, again, this is the mass of the martyrs, right? So I'm sure that the Huron martyrs, uh, who I talk about a lot because I'm very fond of them, men like Jean de Verruf, uh, I'm sure that it didn't feel great when they were dying for the faith. But they knew it was beyond the emotional element. They knew that it was right. Just as we say in, in the mass, right, it is truly right and just. It's our duty and our salvation. Dignum et justrum est. There's not, there's, there's not in all of the, of the Roman canon, someone correct me if I'm wrong, in all of the mass, I don't remember, I don't recall any part where God asks us how we feel about the mass. Emotional manipulation is, is a terrible thing because it's so easy, right? Man is so fickle. Imitation of Christ speaks about that all the time. Man is so fickle. So why would we not therefore conform ourselves to the everlasting truths rather than the sway of our emotional bend? I'm sorry that sometimes that it's tough to go to mass. I get it. I get wanting to sleep in on a Sunday morning. I get knowing that there's a thousand other things to do through the day that we, by our fallen human nature, have cluttered Sunday with. But guess what? I'm not going to mass just because I want to feel alive or feel something or feel like, oh, I must love God, this, this. I'm going because this is the greatest gift we can give to God, is God back to him in the holy sacrifice of the altar, in the Eucharist. That's duty. When God institutes the Ten Commandments, he doesn't ask them how they feel. How do you humans feel about this, right? 
When God speaks to Abraham and makes him father of nations, he doesn't ask him how he feels about it. When God makes Adam, he doesn't ask Adam how he feels about Eve. God knows innately what's best for us. God is pure justice, right? He knows everything. Every single truth is made known to him. So God doesn't just do things on a whim. He's the eternal truth which we have to rest upon. I want to maybe suggest something that may help if you're like me and have a difficult time with prayer life. Books for me are, are way more helpful. Meditatives are way more helpful. It's, it's hard sometimes. So things like Imitation of Christ are helpful. Because I heard this from my priest. Look, when you set up a regimented prayer life, again, you're not doing this because you feel like praying or you don't feel like praying. This is, this is when they speak about praying in the same way as eating or drinking, this is how it has to be, right? You know that you have to eat, right? Oh, I feel like, oh, I feel like eating today. You, you just assume it, right? Oh, I feel like brushing my teeth. No, you just do it. Oh, I feel like going to bed. No, you just do it. This is the same with prayer. It's our duty. It's our obligation to save our souls, right? Through the grace of God to pray for those who have gone before us, to pray for those who are with us right now. It is our obligation because we are locked in community. Our baptism has forever infused upon us the mark of Christ and his church. And it's a dereliction of duty if we allow for our prayer life, especially our whole conformity to God being about how we want to be, trying to find God on our own terms. When Jesus comes down, he doesn't pull the apostles and say, hey, listen, I'm about to tell the people that I am the bread of life come down from heaven. Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you will have no life within me. How does that sound? How does that make you feel? Because the apostles would have been like, well, exactly what all the people did. They would have been like, well, that's kind of weird. <laughs> when Jesus doesn't say, hey, listen, what do you feel if I say things like I am the way, the truth, and the life? He comes down and goes, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. In the book of Job, the whole lesson is how we ought to view God, how we ought to pray to God in the midst of things that are good and in the midst of things that are horrible. Job has everything taken away from him, his family, his livestock. It's just him and his wife. And then he, you know, he gets all these boils and sores and his friends are coming around saying, listen, you must have done something wrong. And at one point, even his wife says, why don't you just curse God and die? But Job doesn't. Job doesn't chalk up the, the, his human existence and feel his way through it. Job stays looking for an answer from the Lord, but he does not blaspheme. He does not leave from the side of the Lord. So that when the Lord makes himself manifest in that conversation, Job doesn't go, well, I'm not listening to you, Lord. You can forget that. He leans in and says, tell me. And God takes him up and reveals just a glimpse, just a sliver of maybe how he doesn't know how everything works. With all the disasters that are happening in the church right now, it's important for us to do a couple of things. Keep saying your rosarios, keep saying your aves, keep saying your novenas, keep going to mass, keep putting your children through the traditional Latin mass, go into a good parish, go into a good school, right? Stay away from sin, stay away from pornography, be a man, stand up straight, we do these things out of a sense of duty, not just our emotional gratification. And that is a sort of change that Christ can use to bring about a renewal in his body, the church. Well, thank you guys for watching. If you liked what this video had to say, and let's be honest, you know you did. Let's go ahead and like, comment, subscribe. I'd love to hear back from you. We, we always get such really good feedback 
on a video. So if you have a topic that you want to hear, maybe it's a glad tried answer. Maybe it's just kind of a, a solo video. Maybe it's one of our main episodes, of course. Um, please go ahead and comment below. We love reading and interacting with you guys. Please also pray for Rudy, Ashley, and their baby Maria. Uh, as you know, Ashley just, or, um, well, Ashley did, I suppose too, but Rudy became a father. Uh, Ashley became a mother uh, a month ago. And so praise be God that they're all doing well. And obviously, as you can imagine, uh, fatherhood is a whole handful. I've been married three months and being married as a husband is already a big enough task. So imagine children on top of it. So if you could please keep them in your prayers, that would be wonderful. And if you'd like to support us further, the most important thing you can do, of course, is to please pray for us and our families. And you can also check out our Patreon. There are a lot of really cool perks. Uh, comments and answers are a perfect example. There's a tier, for instance, which allows you to suggest an episode topic. And believe me, we will do it. You also have early access to episodes. Uh, and then there's also a special Patreons-only episode once a month that we do just to say thank you to our people. So God bless you and may I keep you. I'll see you on the next one. Adios.